DJ and PK, time now to talk with Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor. Brandon, good morning. How's it going, guys? It is going well. It is time for the high school athletes to make their decisions, sign their letters of intent. And I'm curious, the Utes never seem to do very well in the rankings, whether it's yours or somebody else's. And that's just what we're told because we don't look at anybody else's. We just look at yours, Brandon. We're locked down on you. Uh, but they never seem to do well in those. And yet, they're averaging nine wins a year over the last six years. Uh, how do we explain that? I think you just look at the coach running the program, the the longevity he's had there, obviously the development that his assistant coaches do at that position, and just the ability to really develop those players once they get on campus. I don't think there's anybody that's done a better job on the West Coast, and you really can make an argument that nationally nobody has done a better job developing lower-rated players, uh, if you will, and turn them into NFL prospects and consistently win, like Kyle Whittingham has done the last decade, really since they came into the Pac-12. And so I think you just chalk it up to outstanding coaching and player development. All right, yeah, I can't argue any of that. Uh, They still need some studs when you look at their recruiting. Who are some of these potential studs that they might get? Well, that they might get, that's the thing. They actually could close in a really strong fashion. They are in line right now to potentially land uh, three four-star players, two from the state of Utah, uh, one being Xavier Carlton, his father played for Utah in the 90s. He moved back into Salt Lake City where he was born. Uh, Earlier in the year, coming out of Central California, he visited Utah two weeks ago, canceled the visit to Washington, actually visited Ohio State in November, but it's looking like the Utes are going to get him. Uh, Van Fillinger, who was one time committed to Texas out of Corner Canyon, looking like he's going to be leaning towards signing with Utah. And then Silatoi Moai from Punahou High School over in Hawaii. He visited over the weekend. Probably won't announce until February, uh, or at least sign until February, but a lot of indications are that he's going to sign with Utah. But the real big fish is the fact that they got Clark Phillips, who's the number four corner in the country, a top 50 player nationally. He's been committed to Ohio State since the summer. He took a visit to Utah over the weekend, and he's actually starting to really have second thoughts about going as far as Columbus, Ohio. Utah's one of the first schools to offer him. He took the visit this weekend, and now there's a lot of speculation that Utah might pull off one of the bigger flips uh, in all of signing day and getting one of the pure cover, top cover corners on the West Coast in this class. So if you look at the nine years they've been in the Pac-12, the Utes' win total uh, you know, was 18 wins and one bowl appearance the first three years. The next three years, they, they pretty much averaged nine wins a year and, and have a pretty good run and win 28 games. But these last three years, they've obviously got the two division titles on top of it. So it, it looks like with kind of every group of classes, they're making progress. Should Ute fans expect another step forward in these next three years where they're going to look back and say, hey, that was measurably better than the three years that came before it? There's no question. And while they may look at this class and say, well, how come you know, this class doesn't end up as highly ranked considering the, the year that they've had, you usually see the bigger bump in what your previous season has done in the following recruiting class. Because for the majority of the recruits in the 2020 class, decisions were made in August and September or up to that point before the youth had the season that they had. A lot of these guys had already named their top five, narrowed it down to a school of three schools that they were looking at. I think they'll really see the bump in the 2021 class, and that's where you start to expect, okay, we've had now these three 10-win seasons. We've had consecutive uh, Pac-12 South titles. 
recruiting should catch up. And I think that that's what recruits look at. And they've seen that measured consistency, but really that next step to, okay, they've been in the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row. Maybe I'm that one difference maker that gets them over the hump in the Pac-12 championship game. In 2021, I think, is where Utah's really positioned themselves to have a fantastic class. But I also think that you don't throw 2020 into the wind just yet because if they can close with, you know, three of those four of Moai, Fillinger, Carlton, or Phillips, that's a heck of a way to end in the 2020 recruiting cycle, but it gives you more momentum to go into 2021 and showing that the translation from the field is working in recruiting. So which schools are coming into the state of Utah and taking which players? Well, Oregon has always kind of made a living off of cherry-picking top players from the state of Utah, whether it was, you know, Panay Sue a few years ago, going back to Haladi Nada, you know, several years ago. They've, they've had a number of players that they've been able to get, and they're back again. They're coming in, and they get Noah Sewell this time. And Noah Sewell is one of the premier players in all of high school football, a five-star inside linebacker, you know, one of the most unique and kind of rare uh, 265-pound linebackers you'll see move in space. They've always done a really good job in state. USC has always done a good job in the state of Utah. You know, in the last few years, getting J2 Fele a couple years ago uh, away from Utah and BYU. Um, you know, going back to Stanley Havili and then several players in between. I think USC has done a really good job uh, of getting top kids. And Washington uh, historically has done a good job, and especially during the Chris Peterson area, Kaika Malloy, who had been on staff at Utah State, done a really good job in the state of Utah. So I, I think what that means is two things. It means that, A, Utah, BYU, and Utah State have to recruit that much harder. But B, there's a very, very large measure of respect for the caliber of players in the state of Utah that so many national programs, it used to be just Pac-12 programs that really came into the state of Utah to recruit. Now you've got programs coast to coast, up and down the country that are coming into Utah to try to get those guys to leave the state. It looks like the Utes might be able to keep five of the top seven players at home with one of them playing basketball and not playing football and Mason Falslev and then obviously losing Sewell to Oregon. So I checked some of the other Western states, and it seems like that's kind of unusual. It seems like in most states the guys are really scattering. The recruiting is uh, certainly regional, and, and for some guys it's national, and it doesn't look like a lot of schools are having a lot of success locking up the backyard anymore. I actually just did a feature story on that last week, just talking about the exodus of West Coast players leaving the state and going and playing nationally. You know, it's one thing if a kid leaves California and goes to play at Washington. It's one thing if a kid leaves Arizona and goes to play at Oregon. You know, if a kid leaves Utah and goes to play Colorado, you understand it. They're staying in the Pac-12 footprint. But when you look at the top 10 players in the state of California, you got one going to Clemson, one going to Alabama, one going to LSU, one going to Ohio State, one going to Georgia. You know, that's six of your top nine guys that are looking like they're heading outside of the Pac-12 footprint. And then of the guys that are undecided, a couple of them are leaning towards leaving the region as well. So California has really been bleeding these last few years. And I think that that's really starting to trickle down to the rest of the states in the West where they're seeing more and more guys from the Western footprint leaving the Pac-12 region and going to the Big Ten, going to the SEC, going to the ACC. And it's becoming far more common. I've always felt like West Coast kids 
were the most open to leaving the region. But now you're seeing it more and more, and these guys are going to bigger and bigger schools. You've got Alabama, which starts a backfield that's got a running back from California and a quarterback from Hawaii. That's noticed by the ensuing recruiting classes, that if the big school like Alabama is going to recruit and they're going to come in and take guys from the West Coast, then I think I want to go and be a part of that too because West Coast guys have gone before me and kind of blazed that trail. How hotly contested is the competition among all the schools, not just in the West, but maybe whoever decides to come out here for top-flight quarterbacks? I mean, it's as strong as it's ever been. It's as hotly contested as it's ever been because you want to recruit these quarterbacks, but then you also have to do it essentially nowadays with the transfer portal with the guarantee that you're going to play as soon as you get to campus. So you've got to have a track record of showing that younger quarterbacks are getting a chance to play and maybe getting on the field early on in their career there rather than having to wait like in the old days where, you know, if you came as a freshman, you probably weren't seeing the field until you were a redshirt junior. You spent three years learning that system. Now you have quarterbacks that are putting their names in the portal before they finish their first fall camp. So if you're an Alabama, if you're a Clemson, if you're a Georgia and you're coming and recruiting quarterbacks out west, yeah, you want them from a talent standpoint, but you've also really got to sell the kid and their family and all the people around them that they're going to get a fair shot because that kid's much more likely to put his name in the portal because he's in no man's land. He's in a region where he's not from, where he's not used to being. You know, I, I remember what happened to Jacob Eason a few years ago. He was a starting quarterback in Georgia, the true freshman, originally committed to Mark Rick. Kirby Smart takes over, convinces Eason to stay. Eason starts his freshman year, starts the first game of the sophomore year, gets hurt. Jake Fromm comes in. When Eason was healthy, Jake Fromm never unstarted. Jake Fromm started every game since. Jacob Eason left. The next year, Justin Fields left. Jacob Eason knew he had no chance beating out a Georgia kid at the University of Georgia. So coaches have to figure out how they're going to sell these kids on trusting them coming across the country, but then also feeling like they have a legitimate chance to play because quarterbacks as a rule transfer more than any quarterback or any position. And so now you've got to convince these guys not to put their name in the portal and to stick it out, but you better play those guys earlier. They're going to get cold feet and want to leave. Brandon Huffman, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Editor, joining us. So to that point, I think for a long time there was an assumption if a quarterback gets beat out and transfers, well, what are the odds he's really going to blow up? And then we look at the Heisman finalists this year, and everybody's transferred. And these elite teams that are getting ready for playoff games, the transfer quarterbacks, it doesn't seem to be that big a deal. So should we be looking, just just in the West alone, ASU's losing a quarterback, USC's losing a quarterback to San Diego State. Maybe they'll lose another, who knows. The Utes uh, looked like they could have two quarterbacks coming in. How many of these guys are going to hit it big? Are we seeing a transition there? I think that you will see a transition. I think you'll see, you know, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I think you're going to continue to see quarterbacks leave because they want to play. And, you know, the, the long standing kind of, you know, when, when a quarterback would transfer, the, the shade that was thrown at them was like, oh, they're afraid to compete. No, I think quarterbacks transfer because they want to compete. But unlike four receivers that are playing on the field at the same time or, you know, three linebackers, four linebackers playing at a time, one quarterback can play. So if you're second on the depth chart, you're not going to get a chance to play. If you're even further down the depth chart, 
the opportunity to play is not even in sight. So you want to go to a situation where you're going to play, and that's why you're seeing more and more quarterbacks leaving and then finding success. But it almost feels like there's two parts to it. There's, the key is if you can get immediate eligibility, whatever you use in your your, your uh, application or whatever it is in, in your appeal to try to play immediately like Justin Fields is able to do, you want to do that because you probably transferred because you didn't play that year. Now you're going to lose another year to sit out, and you're really no valuable to a coaching staff if you're just a depth guy and you can't even play if there's an injury. So guys are looking for that immediate appeal to be able to play right away. Uh, but if the NCAA cracks down on that like they say that they're going to and their archaic transfer policy remains, then – I think it's hurts the quarterbacks and now they're finding themselves in the transfer portal, basically telling the school that they're at right now, they don't want to be there anymore, but also not being very attracted to other schools. So I think we may see, depending on how the NCAA handles the appeals process, you may see a little bit more foot on the brake when it comes to quarterback transferring because there are no guarantees and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme, reason or method to how the NCAA rules for quarterbacks to be eligible when one gets to play and then another doesn't. I think that's something quarterbacks have to take into mind. And the last thing is I think some quarterbacks are making a calculated risk, but they overplay their hand. They put themselves in the portal thinking, hey, this is just like high school and I had 40 offers, and now they can't even break the 40 at a school that's 5-7. and seven. That's going to be a red flag to a coach at the school that they may be looking at. Like, hey, if you weren't even good enough to play on a mediocre team, what value are you going to bring to us? Can you handicap the Pac-12 as far as who's where? Oregon right now is at the top, and I think that they've just done a fantastic job under Mario Cristobal in recruiting. Obviously, the way he recruited when he was at Alabama, uh, the way he closed when he was at Alabama, including one year where he was the SEC uh, recruiter of the year and then the National Recruiter of the Year with some of the linemen he closed with, that's carried over to his time at Oregon. He's got a bunch of assistant coaches that have the reputation for being great recruiters that have to live up to pretty much what he expects. Washington right behind them, interestingly enough, even with the coaching transition from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, it doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of people in Washington's class leading that class. They haven't lost any commits since that transition was announced. In fact, they, they gained a commit uh, in Jacoby Covington, who was committed to them at one time, opened things up. A lot of those concerns if Jimmy Lake was even going to be there. And then once Jimmy Lake was announced as head coach, he went back in. Stanford, which seems to lose a player to the portal every day these days, uh, is, is right there looking at third in the Pac-12. And then UCLA, Cal, Colorado kind of round out the top half. Uh, but then you got, you know, down at the bottom, you got what's glaring. Utah has one of the smallest classes in the Pac-12, so they're at 12, but they're going to close strong. The one that's the most glaring is USC at 11th. With only 10 commits, they lost a couple of low-ranked three-stars who decommitted. USC is struggling on the field uh, in, in terms of what people like, they're, what they're seeing from Clay Hilton, but they're really struggling in recruiting, largely because there was so much uncertainty about Clay Hilton. Are either BYU or Utah State punching above their weight? I think that you know BYU has a really good class, and I think that they're going to be able to close pretty strong. Uh, Utah State, I would say they're probably a little bit disappointed with where their class is at right now, but I think the Mountain West, kind of generally speaking, since the early signing period has been instituted, the Mountain West really seems to pick up more action in the February signing day. After the Pac-12 kind of gets 
you know, their first pick of the land. Then the Mountain West really gets to kind of close with who they want. So I think Utah State will end up closing strong in the last couple of days. They've gotten some really good commitments. Uh, Xavier Stills is a three-star cornerback out of Fullerton, Col- uh, Fullerton College in Fullerton, California. Uh, and then Luke Marion, who's one of my favorite players in this class. He's a top-ten player in the state of Oregon. His father, Brock Marion, former uh, Dallas Cowboy, Miami Dolphins safety, played at Nevada, was a star at Nevada, and Luke was down to Utah State and Nevada. And Utah State being the first to offer him, that really played a big role in getting him. So they got his commitment last week. Uh, BYU, obviously, I, I think that you know not the losing uh, Andrew Gentry out of Colorado, a player that I think that they felt really good about, a player that they thought that they were going to get. He ended up picking Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia. That was kind of a goal because he's the number two player in the state of Colorado. And most people thought, I think, every crystal ball was on BYU for him. Uh, and he picked Virginia. But some of the other guys they have in this class that are really good, obviously, love Bodie Schoonover from American Fork. Uh, they've got a, a really good offensive lineman that I saw earlier in the year in Isaiah Tupo out of Grant High School in Sacramento. Uh, and then Josh Wilson uh, out of Corner Canyon. And Draper linebacker. And then the new commitment they just got I think yesterday was Micah Harper out of Basher High School in Chandler, Arizona. A fast kid who can play corner. Uh, he's just a speedster. So I think they're actually closing really well. But the Andrew Gentry one is probably going to be one that kind of hurts for a little while because I think that was a shock to everybody. Brandon, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Brandon Huffman, 24-7 sports national recruiting editor.